What makes someone talented? Is talent a privilege by birth or a skill achieved by working and studying extremely hard? I'm Martin Pahiniak, graphic designer, instructor and founder of Yes, I'm a Designer. We are teaching creative tools and techniques and provide inspiration to anyone interested in graphic design and illustration. In this episode, I will tell you why I think teaching is the best way of learning. What does excited accountability mean? What's the 10,000 hours rule? And how child prodigies are made? Join me if you want to find out more about these things and to decide whether you are talented or not. I'm not sure who coined the phrase excited accountability, but I heard it recently from Johnny Harris mentioning it in his YouTube video titled How to Force Yourself to Learn Stuff. I find this phrase great as it describes two opposing emotions that are equally important in getting better at anything. On one hand, you need to be excited and passionate about the activity you decide to immerse yourself in, but without being held accountable, it is easy to give up too soon or shift your interest to something else. Accountability is not a great feeling, and it is not something we normally seek, but we have to learn to embrace it, as without it our progress of getting better is not guaranteed. Taking part in competitions is a great example where you are excited to be the winner, whether you are seeking financial reward or prestige. Once you enter, you need to follow the rules and meet the deadlines. You can also take parenting as an example. When you become a parent, you have to do a lot of things you have never done before. However, for some reason, most people somehow figure out what to do. Bringing up a child is arguably the most important and complex duty you can choose to have. But the reason most of us decide to have kids is because it can also be the most rewarding experience of our life. Even the Bible explains the state of excited accountability with the example of the palm tree, which is growing and flourishing under heavy pressure of weight. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, though trials may threaten to crush them down. Whatever challenge you choose, it will push you to get better, learn faster and improve your skills. However, you have to be careful not to take on challenges way above your limits, as they can be overwhelming and could backfire. Putting yourself under extreme pressure is not healthy, especially if it is happening for a long period of time. So, choosing the right challenge for yourself is a bit of a gamble. You need to find something that is slightly above your current limitations and skills, but not impossible to reach. You need to balance out the two sides of the equation. When the level of excitement is much higher than the accountability, you are basically playing a game. And when you are accountable without being excited, you are just simply working. I'm a big believer of teaching being the best way of learning. I was always interested in helping others, and especially by passing on my knowledge. My father drew comic books for me, based on the stories I came up with. 
I was so inspired to see him draw all the characters and fantastic worlds I imagined and described to him, and I felt an urge to share the things I learned with my friends at the kindergarten. I was only five, but I was showing other kids how to draw and use colors. Naturally, I was just simply passing on, to my best knowledge, the things I saw my father doing. But by simply trying to teach the skills I was aspiring to have, I got better way faster than by listening to someone else showing me how to draw. It is a strange feeling when you are trying to teach something that you don't fully understand. It is exciting and nerve-wracking at the same time. Remember, excited accountability. I had the same feeling throughout my career teaching all kinds of things, but for the longest period, graphic design and Adobe applications. While studying product design at university, my friends suggested to me that I should teach these tools professionally, as according to them, I could explain how to use these applications really well. Well, I took their advice and after studying day and night for three months, I got certified as an Adobe Certified Expert in Photoshop. I didn't have to wait long until I got invited to teach at the prestigious media school. I was thrilled to do it, but I was also scared that I wasn't knowledgeable enough to teach. I haven't had any experience in the creative industry at this point, but taking on this role as the lead Adobe instructor, I had to step up my game. I was frantically searching for books, courses and tutorials to learn from. By putting this massive pressure on myself within two years of teaching part-time at the school, I taught myself so much and also learned a lot from my students I had in my classes. I was often the youngest in the room, but thanks to my passion for teaching and the subject matter, my students were always respectful and happy to learn from me. There are three crucial things you need to remember if you decide to teach. First, stay humble. Two, admit if you don't know something. And three, accept if someone knows something better than you. In the last 10 years, I presented many things in front of hundreds of people. And if I was asked a question that I didn't know the answer to or wasn't sure about, I never pretended to know and instead asked the audience to help out. Almost always there was someone who knew the answer and felt great about sharing it with everyone else. You might think that you lose authenticity or credibility when you publicly admit not to know something about the topic you are giving a lecture or presentation on. In my experience, I always gain more respect by admitting not knowing the answer and instead involving the audience in a discussion. Teaching is very important for me and I'm planning to talk more about it on this podcast. You can email us on info at yesimadesigner.com if you want me to cover any specific topics and feel free to ask any questions that I will be able to respond to in one of our upcoming episodes. Anders Ericsson, a cognitive psychologist at Florida State University, states that those who engage in persistent practice eventually reach the pinnacle of their field. In the long run, it is the ones who practice more who prevail, not the ones who had some initial advantage in intelligence or some other talent. According to this, we are more equal than we assume.
Erickson came up with the famous 10,000 hours rule, saying that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert in anything. So let's do a bit of math. If you count 10,000 hours without considering day and night, it is only 416 days, which is just a little bit more than a year. If you set the daily limit to 8 hours of studying, it will mean 1250 days or 3.5 years. That is, if you commit to actively study 8 hours every single day. For some, that might sound impossible, but for some, it might sound actually doable. Now, Erickson clearly doesn't believe in talent, but what about physical differences at birth? Intelligence is another word we made up to measure how smart, successful someone is, and it is usually associated with brain power or the actual physical size of someone's brain. Researchers who carried out a study on the size of particular parts of the brain in mathematicians and non-mathematicians found that the longer someone had worked as a mathematician, the more grey matter he or she had in the right inferior parietal lobule, which would suggest that the increased size was a product of extended mathematical thinking and not something the person was born with. So to put it simply, with all the fancy scientific words, it means that if you are studying, your brain actually grows. Erickson, however, agrees that there might be certain genes that enables a child to enjoy drawing or playing music more than average. And this could be considered a slight advantage in case the child is allowed to spend time improving his or her specific skill. Now, I studied music for around 12 years and learned to play the piano, the guitar and the clarinet. I got fairly good at each of them, but I am clearly the best at playing the piano since that's the instrument I studied for the longest time. However, I had an interesting discovery when I started to play my second instrument, the guitar. Although the way to play a guitar is very different from playing a piano, I still managed to get better at it much faster than other students. I was at an obvious advantage knowing a lot about music already, and I was also older and more focused than when I started learning the piano. A surprising outcome was that I noticed getting better at the piano at a much faster rate than before starting to play the guitar even though I didn't have as much time to practice as before, since my attention was split between the two instruments. This strange contradiction got even more curious when later on I started to learn to play the clarinet. Again, a completely different instrument that I had to learn from scratch, but while practicing, I noticed the same improvement boost in both my skills at playing the piano and the guitar. I believe Whatever you learn will improve a specific skill, but it will also help you to acquire new skills faster. In a way, the act of learning helps you to be better at learning. It is a bit like a computer game, where you need to level up and each time you reach a new level, you get to choose a new skill. Besides gaining skills, your experience level and experience points are increasing. Whatever you choose to study, your general experience level and points will be also going up. Now, let's return to talk about being talented at something. 
According to Mr. Erickson, there is no such thing as talent. But then how can you explain child prodigies? You must have heard of Mozart, who wrote and performed his first composition at the age of four. In psychology, the term child prodigy is defined as a person under the age of 10 who produces meaningful output in some domain to the level of an adult expert performer. There are many well-known stories of child prodigies, but instead of talking about these, I wanted to share two unique and amazing stories with you, which you might not be familiar with. Edmund Thomas Clint, named after the Hollywood actor and director Clint Eastwood, was an Indian child prodigy known for having drawn over 25,000 paintings during his short life of less than seven years. At the age of five, he secured first place in a competition held for painters below the age of 18. He loved painting Hindu festivals and traditional events near his home in Kochi, Kerala. In 2017, they also made a movie about his life called Clint. Now, just imagine how far he would have been able to get in painting if he didn't die of kidney failure so young. In his short life, he already spent way over 10,000 hours doing one specific thing. And with this kind of dedication, he probably would have spent way over 100,000 hours painting by the time he became an adult. Another fascinating story is about Laszlo Polgár, a Hungarian chess teacher and educational psychologist. He is the father of the famous Polgár sisters, Zsuzsa, Zsófia and Judith, whom he raised to be chess prodigies, with Judith and Zsuzsa becoming the best and second best female chess players in the world, respectively. He is also considered a pioneer theorist in raising children, who believes geniuses are made and not born. His experiment with his daughters has been called one of the most amazing experiments in the history of human education. Laszlo began teaching his eldest daughter, Zsuzsa, or in English, Susan, to play chess when she was only four years old. Six months later, Susan toddled into Budapest's smoke-filled chess club, which was crowded with elderly men, and beat all the veteran players. The other daughter, Judith, was able to defeat her father at chess when she was just five. Now, unfortunately... Their family had been the target of some vicious anti-Semitism during the girl's childhood, which probably helped them to form an even more special bond and left no space for jealousy amongst each other. Let me read a quote from Judith, which she told to an interviewer in 2012, and something that gives an interesting insight into her and her sister's life. In the beginning, it was a game. Later, chess for me became a sport, an art, a science, everything together. I was very focused on chess and happy with that world. I was not the rebelling and outgoing type. I was happy that at home we were a closed circle and then we went out playing chess and so the world. It's a very difficult life and you have to be very careful, especially the parents who need to know the limits of what you can and can't do with your kids. My parents spent most of their time with us, they traveled with us, and they were in full control of what was going on. Judith has been described as without a doubt the best female chess player the world has ever seen. 
She achieved the title of Grandmaster when she was only 15, and at the time she was the youngest to have done so, breaking the record previously held by former world champion Bobby Fischer. Laszlo's daughters all became excellent chess players, but interestingly, Sofia, the least successful of the three, who became only the sixth best woman player in the world, quit playing and went on to study painting and interior design and focus on being a housewife and mother. Laszlo had this idea in 1992 that he wanted to break the racial barriers in the virtually all-white chess player world by adopting a black infant from the third world who he would train to become a chess prodigy. A Dutch billionaire had actually offered to help Laszlo adopt three boys from a developing country and raise them exactly the same way as he did with his daughters. Laszlo really wanted to do this, but his wife talked him out of it. She argued that life is not only about chess and that Laszlo would be teaching them chess while she would be responsible for everything else. So now that we discussed many aspects of this topic, it is up to you to decide what you believe in. You can consider talent a privilege of a few or a hidden possibility that is built into all of us. In my opinion, the word passion is better than talent in measuring someone's ability to improve and achieve things. You need to be passionate about something to have the drive, stamina and motivation to keep going. We don't consider passion being an inherent value or something we were born with. It is something we find when we are inspired by an event or person in our life. I believe that you need to cherish the things you feel passionate about because those are the only skills or areas you will be able to excel in. Whenever someone tells me that I am talented, I always say, no, I'm just passionate. I hope you found this episode of Yes, I'm a Designer podcast useful and will motivate you to keep on learning whatever you decide to master. Subscribe to our newsletter if you want to be notified about our latest projects and receive weekly doses of inspiration and insight into the creative industry. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and watch our weekly videos released every Monday and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and Pinterest. Don't forget to send us an email to info at yesimadesigner.com if you have anything to share or say about this episode or if you want to propose future topics for us to cover in the podcast. If you want to start learning from us, we recommend to join our pro membership, which will give you access to all of our courses and a lot of premium features like getting personalized reviews of your submitted designs. You can find links in the description to all of our platforms and everything else related to the things we talked about in this show. Thanks a lot for listening and have fun learning.